The woman, uh, Hannah, lived during a time of great social upheaval in ancient Israel, kind of similar to our day today. We live in an age of social upheaval with so much going on in the world, not only wars going on, but uh, 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 diseases uh, ravaging the world, as we know, with COVID and other things, and great unrest all around the world. Uh, When Hannah lived, it was one of the darkest and most violent times in the history of God's people. Uh, The country seemed to be falling apart, and the people had lost their way. Again, kind of like our country today, and the world for that matter. In Judges, back here in the Old Testament, in the last chapter, in fact, the, the last verse of the book of Judges, kind of explains those times. And it sums it all up when you read through the book of Judges and all of the violence and killing that took place, it says, In those days Israel had no king. Everyone did as he or she saw fit. That's uh, Judges 21-25. So, the period of Judges is summarized in this way. This is when Hannah lived. Uh, Many people during those years became very discouraged and fearful and even doubted whether God was still in control of things. And again, you know, it ties right into our day today. We have a lot of people who have become discouraged and fearful and wonder where is God in all this? Is he in control? Well, the answer is that yes, indeed, he was in control in Hannah's day, as Hannah discovered. And he is in control of our day today. So we'll turn now to 1 Samuel and actually read a little bit about the the story of Hannah, who this woman was and and what she did, because it's an an inspiring story. In the midst of this violent and confusing time lived the woman named Hannah. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, We read a little bit about her life. It says, after the death of Saul, now I'm in 2 Samuel, let's turn to 1 Samuel. There was a certain man from Ramathaim, a Zuphite, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah. That's Hannah's husband, Elkanah. He was the son of Jeroham the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuph, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Panina. Panina had children, but Hannah had none. So Hannah, the woman we're going to focus on today, was married to a man named Elkanah, who was from the hill country. They were back hill people, (laughs) hillbillies of their day, I guess, if that word isn't too offensive. Back Hills people. And she was one of two wives that Elkanah had. And uh, when you read through the Old Testament, you see this more commonly that men, not all the time, but would have more than one wife. And a lesson that we learn from the Bible is that whenever you read a story about a man having more than one wives, one wife, it uh, also mentions that there's a lot of trouble that goes on in that marriage and in that relationship and in that family. 
Whenever a man had more than one wife, and it was allowed back in those days, the Bible neither encourages it or condemns it. It was part of the custom of those days, but it never went easy on the man. So that's a lesson for us to learn today. God intended for one man to have one wife, like Adam and Eve. But we read the story here, and sure enough, Hannah, being one wife of this man, Uh, had a lot of trouble in her relationship. Uh, It goes on to say here, as we read on, he had two wives, one was called Hannah and another, Penina. Penina had had children, but Hannah had none. So Hannah was, as the Bible used to say, barren. She could not have any children, try as they might. The other wife had all the kids. She was not able to have any. Now, stop right there, and this is a theme that we've heard of before, where a woman is not capable of of having children, but because of prayer, because of other circumstances, God intervenes, and the woman eventually ends up having a son. We remember the story of Sarah, the wife of Abraham, who was barren, She couldn't have any children, but in her elder years, she did give birth to a son, Isaac, a very important individual in uh, the godly line of Old Testament individuals. Rachel, a wife of Jacob, was not able to have children, but eventually she gave birth to Joseph, one of the sons of Jacob, one of the tribes of Israel, the mother of Samson the judge of the Old Testament. I think many of us have heard the stories about Samson and his strength. Uh, His mother was unable to have children until she eventually gave birth to Samson. And Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, was not able to have any children. And we remember the story, she eventually gave birth to John the Baptist, the one who paved the way for Jesus' earthly ministry. So each of these women shared Hannah's despair the feeling that they were not able to produce any children, but God responded by providing a child that was God's answer to the crisis of the times, as a matter of fact. And we're gonna see such is the case with Hannah and the way that God blessed her. But let's read on here. Verse three, year after year, this man, Elkanah, went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh. Now. Jerusalem wasn't the center of worship for Israel yet, so everyone went to Shiloh to worship God. And it just so happened that at the time, there was a high priest serving there by the name of Eli, and he had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, who turned out to be real scoundrels and very bad men. And God eventually had to intervene and punish them, the whole family. The two sons of Eli were priests of the Lord. Verse four, whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. So even though Hannah couldn't have any children, she was the one who was loved most by her husband. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. 
So a bad family situation that went on for years and years and years. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival, Panina, the other wife, provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? So kind of a, you know, lack of understanding on the part of her husband as well. So she was really suffering. She was discouraged. She was downhearted. This was really getting to her. And, you know, uh, many of you, I don't know if you've gone through a similar situation or known of women who have, it can be very discouraging and very depressing. So what made things worse, the ridicule from the other wife, her inability to bear children, and here, even when they went to Shiloh to worship God, that's when the other woman got on her case and was uh, persecuting her and upsetting her. So she had no peace. She couldn't find peace anyplace, even in worshiping God. So the story goes on in verse 9. Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow, saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. So what does this mean? Well, back in... Old Testament times, there was something called a Nazarite vow. And if you want to read about it, you can look at Numbers chapter 6. Uh, I won't turn there right now. But if you wanted to dedicate your child to God and have them take this Nazarite vow, uh, it would be a life led to serve God. And uh, the thing about no razor on his head, one of the parts of the vow was that you would never cut your hair because long hair is a sign of submission to God, service to God. So he would never get his hair cut. And furthermore, it also involved never using alcohol, because if you're living a life in service to God, if you're dedicated to God, you always want to have a clear mind and know what you're doing and never be tempted to overdrink or anything like that. So Hannah prays for a son, and she wants him also to be a blessing to God. She's not just thinking about herself, she knows that uh, the nation's going through troublesome times, and she's praying for a son, and she's saying to God, well, maybe my son can be of service to you and can help out with what's going on in the nation. So we, she was willing to dedicate whatever son God provided her with to God. And sure enough, Samuel, a son, is born. And as it turns out, he ends up being the last of the judges to rule over Israel, and he's also the first of the prophets of Israel. So she is blessed with a son, and uh, he turns out to be quite a man. Let's read on a little bit more here. Verse 12, and she kept on praying to the Lord. Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So as a lot of times people will pray and they won't speak as they pray, but they'll be moving their lips and kind of mouthing the words to God. And here Eli, the high priest, thought she was drunk and said to her, 
How long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. This woman can't win. She's getting grief from uh, her husband's other wife. She's getting grief from her husband. And now here the, the high priest thinks that she's drinking too much. Not so, my Lord, verse 15, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. So Eli the high priest answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went away and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home in, at Ramah. Elkanah lay with Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel saying, because I asked the Lord for him. Let's read on a little bit more. <clears throat> when the man Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. So she was pretty much giving up her child. He was going to live there at the temple and just dedicate his whole life, even as a young boy, starting then. Do what seems best to you, Elkanah, her husband told her. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When they had slaughtered the bull as a sacrifice, they brought the boy to Eli, the high priest, and she said to him, As surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. Wow, what dedication. It was all about God. You know, something she had desperately longed for and waited for, she finally received it, and she dedicated it to God, this son. Now, the rest of the story that I won't take time to, to read about, but, well, let's look at 2 Samuel, chapter 2. Second Samuel 2 and verse 18. No. No. We're back here to 1 Samuel 2 and verse 18. Sorry about that. It mentions just a little bit more about Samuel as he grew up as a young boy and into his teen years. It says here, but Samuel was ministering before the Lord a boy wearing a linen ephod. Each year, his mother, Hannah, made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. So even though she had to pretty much give her son away for service at the temple, they went every year to worship God there on a special day, on a special occasion. And every year that she would go up there with her husband to worship, she would take a little robe 
and present it to her son, and he would wear it in his service to God. It says, Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. Then they would go home. And the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. So she did not have to go childless from that point on. Even though she dedicated her firstborn to God, she had other children, three more sons and two daughters to, to keep her occupied. So a wonderful story of a woman and her dedication to God, dedicating her firstborn son who turned out to be a great leader of God's people. But what I want to focus on here is in 1 Samuel chapter 2 at the beginning of the chapter because Hannah had a song. She composed a song to God. And uh, I want to read it here. This is 1 Samuel 2, beginning in verse 1. Based on what had happened, this is what Hannah prayed and, and said, and this is actually a song. My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn, or my strength, is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies. For I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. So as Hannah composes this song that she sings to the Lord, this prayer or whatever you want to call it, her focus is totally on God. She's a woman who lived in very troublesome times in, in the nation, as I said, similar to the times that we're living in. And she always knew, she had never lost sight of the fact that God was in charge. And he was the one that can rescue her, and in fact, the nation of Israel, out of whatever situation they found themselves in. So she put her full trust and confidence in God. A lesson for us today, because we live in trouble sometimes. We all have issues in our own personal lives. We have relationship issues in our family, perhaps, just as she did with her husband's other wife that she had to put up with on a constant basis. She had trouble, physical troubles. She was barren, and she had to deal with that and kind of live with that. Uh, we all have situations in our life like that. And, you know, we're looking for a rescue. We're hoping that, you know, some of these issues will go away somehow. We can't work them out. We don't have the power or the ability to change things in our situation. But we need to look to God like Hannah did. She never lost confidence in him and always knew that he was the one that could deliver her. And he did. She says in verse 3, as part of this prayer, do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance, probably referring to her husband's other wife and the, the criticism that she got from her. For the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food, but those who were hungry hunger no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. So she brings out the point here, too, that God always seems to look out for the underdog, 
the one who is poor, the one who comes, you know, from a poor background, is, they lived in the hills. They didn't live in a big, you know, opulent part of the city. They were out in the country. They were country folk. But God never lost sight of them and their needs, especially for her. Verse 6, the Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He sets them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. And it kind of reminds me of our situation and the situation of all Christians. You know, God hasn't called the, the rich and the famous of the world. Now, certainly he can do that if he wants to. But he has called the poor and the lowly of the world. Hold your place there and let's turn to a scripture and uh, see where I have this. First Corinthians. I like what Paul says here in First Corinthians, beginning in chapter one. You know, we used to sing a, a song uh, many years ago. It was entitled, Not Many Wise Men Now Are Called. Not Many Noble Brethren. And, uh, you know, the Apostle Paul focuses on the fact that God calls the poor of the world, not the wise, not the, the mighty, not the famous. He calls the poor of the world to show that when he calls us and we're changed and we uh, achieve what God has in store for us, the glory doesn't go to us, it goes to God. So that's what Hannah was commenting on, that God calls the weak, he calls the poor of the world and makes something of them. Not because of their own greatness or anything that they did to achieve it, but the glory goes to God because he's the one who's working out everything behind the scenes. Let's turn back to 1 Samuel now. I guess I had the wrong scripture in Corinthians, but back here to 1 Samuel and complete the, the song and the lesson that Hannah is teaching us and that God is teaching us from this story. 1 Samuel chapter 2 once again. Again, verse 8, He raises the poor from the dust and he lifts the needy from the ash heap. He sets them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. And that's, of course, looking forward to the throne that we're going to share with Jesus Christ in the future. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. Upon them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked will be silenced in darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder against them from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Now that's a key verse, that very last verse of the song. Because in this verse here, he, she is referring far in the future to Jesus Christ himself. She is predicting, she is prophesying the arrival of God's anointed. And when it says here in the last verse, verse 10, he will give strength to his king 
and exalt the horn of his anointed. This word anointed here in the Hebrew means Messiah and in the Greek means Christ. And that's what Jesus became to be. The Messiah, he fulfilled the prophecies of the coming Messiah and he is also the Christ, the anointed one of God, uh, the, son, the very son of God. So Hannah here is prophesying the coming of Jesus Christ and the prophecy that he will fulfill as being the king that will rule for all eternity. And he is already ruling over everything as we learned the other week. He has authority. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him already. And that reign is going to go on for all eternity. So Hannah became a prophet here, prophesying the coming of Jesus Christ, looking ahead. But she was rejoicing in what God had done for her. And not only how God had blessed her with a son, but he, he ended up blessing the entire nation of Israel with a great leader, Samuel. So the lesson of Hannah's story is God is in charge during times when the world and our lives seem out of control. She, just like us, tended to become depressed and discouraged in the midst of everything that was going on around her. She had to undergo persecution, just as we do in many cases in our lives, disappointment, discouragement, but God was there. God is always in charge. He is the solution to all of these problems. And he is worthy for our praise because of that. So learn the lesson of Hannah, a woman who suffered a lot of grief in her life. But she knew that God was in charge. That's who she prayed to for help. And God did not let her down. So as we suffer from day to day, as we're confused and discouraged by what's going on in the world, never lose sight of the fact that God is in charge. Never doubt him. Never think that maybe he's not aware or he's, he's off someplace, not involved. He's always involved in every aspect of our lives. And he's in control of what goes on in the world too. So uh, he's worthy of our praise because of that. And let's do that now in prayer.